Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be uh, heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. Power to the Polls, your voting guide is here by Sophie Hansen. Voting is social work, and you have the ability to exercise your power on November the 6th, 2018, in the Massachusetts general election. In Massachusetts, each senator and representative has a two-year term, making 2018 an election year. Some districts had competitive primaries, which were on September the 4th, with more than one candidate from the same party. A few longtime incumbents face challenges, while some seats are open because the legislator resigned, retired, or passed away. In addition to voting for candidates for congressional, statewide, and local elections, you will have the opportunity to vote for three ballot initiatives addressing patient-nurse staffing ratios, campaign financing, and transgender rights. Question 1 the law relative to patient safety and hospital transparency. This proposal, this proposes mandatory nurse staffing levels and is spearheaded by the Massachusetts Nurses Association. They argue that the ratios would improve patient safety as nurses currently have too large a caseload. Opponents say that the language is too strict and would result in closure of hospitals due to a statewide nursing shortage. A yes vote would put a staffing ratio in place. Question two is the law relative to establishing a citizen's commission concerning a constitutional amendment to secure government of the people. This would create a commission that, would, uh, that looks into the effects of political spending across the state and would recommend changes to that practice. This effort is backed by the American Promise Initiative, which is leading campaigns across the country to appear on multiple state ballots. The initiative aims to add a 28th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, essentially overturning the 2010 U.S. Supreme Court decision in Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission. This is possible if enough votes, if enough states pass similar measures. A yes vote would establish a commission in Massachusetts. Question 3, an act relative to transgender anti-discrimination. This act asks whether the Massachusetts transgender anti-discrimination law passed in 2016 should still be in place. The law provides protections to transgender community by banning discrimination on the basis of gender identity in places of public accommodation like restrooms, restaurants, and parks. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Supporters say grade configuration is a positive. Middle and high school is together in the same building by Lanny Rooksdale. 
Support is for the grade 7 to 12 high school project in Belmont are trying to reassure other parents who have expressed concerns about the proposed grade configuration and six-year age difference of students who will be housed in the new building if it is built. Students who attend the new school will range from 12 to 18 years old. There are less than four weeks until the November 6 election, when registered voters will be asked to approve or disapprove a debt exclusion for $295 million to fund the project, approaches November 6. If the vote doesn't pass, the town will lose the $80 million, $80 million reimbursement for eligible costs approved by the Massachusetts School Building Authority. Initially, the idea of kids ranging from ages 12 to 18 together did make me pause. But as I learned more, I realized the committee has designed every aspect of the buildings in a detailed, careful way, said Amanda Lubarski, Winbrook Elementary Parent Teacher Association president. The plan for the new high school includes separate entrances one for 7th and 8th graders, and another for ninth grade and above. It also plans to have separate seating areas in the cafeteria and staggered start and stop times. The school would house approximately 2,215 students. Our school population is shockingly large. It has, has exploded in the past decade, and I don't think most people realize by how much. Lubarski said, it's a testament to our strong education and the fact families choose to move here for the schools. Benefits of design touted. Jesse Bennett, the Mary Lee Burbank School Parent-Teacher Association secretary, said she thinks the district has thought about the configuration thoroughly. I have heard concerns about the size and the grade levels from parents and I myself had concerns early on about the reconfiguration of grades, Bennett says. However, I am 100% behind this project because I think that it has been carefully planned, very thoughtfully. In fact, Bennett says there are definite pros to the grade configuration. For one, the way we have the district set up now gives students two big transitions at two points in their school careers, she said. In fifth grade, they go to a new school and begin a team teaching model. In ninth grade, they go to a new school and begin a high school teaching schedule. It's much better for students to only experience one big transition at a time. She added that it will allow eighth graders who are working above grade level to take more advanced classes, make mentorships between older and younger students possible, and allow for resources to be shared between the two schools. The school district can provide excellent new spaces for the arts and sciences that can be shared between the two schools. The existing facilities at the high school are terrible, and the new school will be significant improvement for all of the students. The fact that the two schools can share the spaces creates a significant cost savings for the town. Other schools in the district have become overcrowded, Bennett said. 1,400-plus students in a school built for 900, which is the situation that we have at the Chenery Middle School right now, is unacceptable, and we can't keep throwing more dealers at the problem. 
she said. As a town, we place a high value on education, and I am convinced that this is the most responsible way forward to support our students and our community. A comma model in smaller schools. Research conducted on different grade configurations is not definitive, as there is no consensus in the education community as to which works best. The Mass Branch Director of School Superintendent Association, Tom Scott, said there are several other examples of the 7 to 12 grade configuration in the state. There are a lot of districts on the smaller side that have those configurations, he said. But based on size, it's not one I've seen a lot because of the scope and size. But it's a certainly a pretty common configuration. There's no magic to grade configuration, Scott says. More often than not, grade configurations are a function of resources. I was a superintendent in Concord, and we went through a period of looking at a lot of different grade configurations. There are a lot of pros and cons to every model. They can all be made to work, depending on how you structure it to work for the student body. Scott says overall the configuration that bets that's best for a district depends on resources and financing. There's nothing that's going to point you to one being better than the other. It's how you structure it, he said. Now over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Zoning draft approval. Measure would establish rules for marijuana overlay district by Joanna K. Tavellis. The selectman meeting room was packed on October 2nd for the third planning board public hearing on zoning regulations for the adult use marijuana overlay district. There are two areas of town the planning board is considering as zones for retail marijuana establishments. South Pleasant Street from the intersection of Trapello Road to just before the intersection of Clark Street and Snake Hill Road where the Subaru dealership and many other businesses are currently located and the intersection of Blanchard Road and Hittinger, Flanders and Brighton where the Loading Dock and Damnation Alley Distillery are located. These areas, areas are part of the Medical Marijuana Overlay District, which was approved at the annual town meeting in 2014. Planning Board Vice Chairman Steve Pinkerton, members Thayer Donham and Edmund Starzek, approved a preliminary draft recommending the two zones for the special town meeting forum. Planning Board Chairman Charles Clark abstained and member Carl Hagland recommended only South Pleasant Street as the location for the two stores. Another public hearing is scheduled for October 11th. The Board of Health has made the minimum age 25 to purchase marijuana in Belmont. Several residents spoke both in support of and against the loading dock location at the October 2nd hearing and the Planning Board has received many letters in support of and against the location. On October 2nd alone, the Planning Board received 23 letters against it and 7 letters in support. Those against it expressed concern over its proximity to Belmont High School and the public walking path. Superintendent John Phelan, in an interview with the Citizen Herald on October 9th, said he does not approve of a marijuana shop close to Belmont High School or any school for that matter. I believe that having a retail marijuana shop in the town of Belmont close to the high school is not a good idea. That would be my individual opinion as, su as a superintendent, said Phelan. Fuad Mokakar, owner of the loading dock, could not be reached for a comment. He established a new entity to September 26, TLD Holdings, LLC. 
McCarker sold his all-alcohol license issued to the loading dock in 2014 to Star Market for $400,000 in 2017. McCarker also owns Zaytun Market, LLC, 62 Concord Ave. The hearing on October 2nd opened with Pinkerton expressing his reason for keeping the loading dock location as one of the two zones. He said both locations were chosen as locations to alleviate concerns brought up by residents at previous hearings about the overlay being too close to residential neighborhoods. Loud and clear from the summer meeting, what I heard universally is people were concerned about having a retail store next to their house, and that was one of the reasons we said, let's just go where the medical marijuana footprint was because it wasn't in residential areas, said Pinkerton. Pinkerton expressed his concern about not allowing reasonable opportunities for there to be a marijuana business to be located which is required by the Cannabis Control Commission. I'm concerned we're going to get a lawsuit, and I don't want to expose the town of Belmont to a lawsuit saying we've been unduly restricted, he said. Clark said the task of the planning board is to find places to put this use in Belmont. Our task is to find what we believe, after having heard from residents in the town and with our planning staff, what we believe are reasonable places to zone this into place. The arguments against many places and focusing it on one place smack of nullification, which is trying to legally zone away something that you don't like. Sarzak says he's torn, but Brighton Street has been a good home to a lot of uses that don't fit into standard locations. Haglund says let's put the primary sale in the least accessible spot. But a lot of people in town are saying, if you have to choose, put it on South Pleasant Street and see what happens, he said. Over to you, Bob. <coughs> Thanks, Max. Belmont faces school crossing guard shortage by Zawi Gao. Belmont is grappling with a crossing guard shortage. The police department em uh, employs crossing guards to cover Belmont's four elementary schools and Chenery Middle School. When there are not enough guards to fill the daily shifts, the Belmont police officers are forced to step up and fill in the vacant posts. There are currently vacancies for a full-time crossing guard, as well as a vacancy in a reserve position. After a car crash killed a pedestrian at the intersection of Lexington and Sycamore Streets in August, parents have heightened concerns about the safety of their children walking to school. According to Belmont Police Log, during the past month there have been three collisions involving cyclists or pedestrians getting hit with non-life-threatening injuries. Residents are concerned that speeding vehicles pose threats to school children. Everybody, especially in the morning, keeps speeding, said uh, Belmont resident uh, Layla Soprano, mother of two young children. She said she believes that crossing guards enhance traffic safety around the schools. I think if the drivers can actually see someone physically standing up there, it helps them to be aware and control their speed. Heather Rubeski, another Belmont resident and mother of a kindergartner and a seventh grader, said she never felt comfortable letting her children walk by themselves, even though her home, uh, her family lives five blocks from the Burbank Elma Elementary School. They have to cross Washington Street and cars fly down Washington Street, she said. The crosswalk that her children have to walk past to get to school every day has neither a crossing guard or a stop sign. Not every crosswalk has a guard. 
It is a budget situation, Rebeski added. It is not that people are unaware. It is because every existing solution costs money. Crossing guards in Belmont work 13 hours a week for $16.50 an hour. For, an, uh, for the upcoming year, the Belmont Police Department has set the budget uh, for crossing guards at $181,000. The shortage also burdens the police department as po- patrol officers often require to fill in the vacancies rather than stick to their daily duties. Assistant Belmont Police Chief James McIsaac said supervisors face dilemma when deciding whether to let an officer leave the crossing post or an emergency elsewhere in town. If the police station gets a call, we used to prefer sending two officers to the scene. Now we have to cut down the number if one of them is working at the vacant crossing guard post, said McIsaac. This has increased the workload for police officers and has caused, the con- has, and has caused conflicts when a crossing guard shows up late, requiring an officer to cover without prior notice. McIsaac denied that the shortage of crossing guards has been driven by a lack of money. He said the department has recently increased the pay for crossing guards to make the position more attractive. He believes the irregular working schedules discourage people from applying. The job requires someone to be free both mornings and afternoons. The minimum qualifications for crossing guards include a high school diploma equivalent or equivalent, experience working with children, and the ability to communicate effectively with others. On October 4th, McIsaac sent an email about police staff filling in for crossing guards to Superintendent John Phelan, which he forwarded to parents. Please know that when a reserve guard is not available to fill a vacancy, we then attempt to fill the vacant post with a police officer, he it stated. In 2017, we had to fill crossing post with police officer 191 times. As of October 1, 2018, we have had to fill 348 crossing posts with police officers. Having crossing posts does not have an officer that when crossing post does not have an officer or a crossing guard in it, McIsaac's email stated several possible reasons why that could have happened. The number of vacant posts is greater than the number of officers working, and second, an officer is not available due to an incident. And now on to my colleague, Claire. Thank you, Bob. Ten-year tradition of giving back to Belmont by Joanna K. Zavellis. Doug John, past president of the Belmont Religious Council, who helped found Belmont Serves 10 years ago and was chairman of this year's event, was very pleased with the participation and work accomplished and the people they were able to help beyond Belmont with the work done such as Lawrence, Waltham, and Arlington. Due to the upcoming move of the Belmont Food Pantry, John said the pantry informed them they could not take all the donated food this year because it would need to be stored and moved. The last few weeks, John said he and his wife, Tina, were scrambling to find another pantry to donate the food to. Many of the pantries said they didn't have the space to store all the food, and many of them also didn't have a way to pick it up and were closed on Columbus Day. Then they received a tip from Jen McMullen that Lazarus House in Lawrence 
was looking to gather food for the victims of the recent gas explosions. John said the Lazarus House told them they had been overwhelmed with the increased demand for food with the people made homeless from the gas explosions and that their call was an answer to their prayers. He said that they don't normally go and get food, but that they would find a way to get a truck and come and get it because they were so excited about this and needed extra food so badly. We feel like in the end, everything transpired as it should in order to get the food to the people most in need, said John. An 18-foot truck and a smaller truck was fully loaded with 1,600 bags of donations delivered to families affected by the recent gas explosion, as well as regular clients served by the Lazarus House in Lawrence. We also supplied a van load of donations to the Arlington Food Pantry and a pickup truck load to the Waltham Food Pantry, said John. Now over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Belmont trash collectors to reject containers with open lids by Till Kaysen. Belmont resident and town meeting member Paul Roberts said he remembered a time when he was able to take just about anything to his curbside and have the town's trash collectors haul it out of sight. Anything, bed frame, mattress, it was great. It was really old school, Robert said. It was like you were back in the 50s or something. But times have changed, and the town has been tightening its regulations on trash collection. As a scarlet red banner on the town website reminds residents that come October 1st, Trash carts that aren't fully sealed will not be emptied by trash collectors. Waste management employees are now putting stickers on any carts that are not fully closed, that contain trash in unofficial bags or which have excess items on top of them, and the town will not send back trash collectors to empty those carts with stickers on them, according to the website. Residents whose trash is not picked up one week will have to wait until the following week to have their cart emptied and must use official overflow bags, which can be purchased at Star Market, Hillside True Value, as well as the at the Department of Public Works office for any excess trash, according to the website. The impending change comes just three months after the town made the big switch from manual-operated trash pickup to fully automated collection. Along with introducing garbage trucks with mechanical arms, the town also provided each household with a 64-gallon wheeled cart designed for trash and a 96-gallon wheeled cart for single-stream recycling. J. Marcotte, Director of Public Works, wrote in an email to the Citizen Herald that this new contract was developed over a period of more than two years and that it was the result of a collaborative effort between the Public Works Department and a citizen-based solid waste working group. Introducing the requirement to keep trash <coughs> cart lids fully sealed for pickup <coughs> was always a part of the plan, Marcotte said. He said it has been an adjustment for residents, but believes about 80% of residents are satisfied with the new system. The other 20% are having a harder time going from unlimited to limited, he said. He said the greatest number of complaints he has received have been about the size of the barrels, either that they are too big or too small and added that some residents find the limit of one bulky item pickup per week challenging. Our hauler has informed us that we, they are seeing more and more overflow barrels, Marcotte wrote. The intent of the program was to reduce trash and promote recycling. Marcotte suggested that if residents generate too much trash to fit into the cart provided to them, 
they could purchase official overflow bags to store the excess waste. Should a resident be struggling with excess waste piling up in their home or on their driveway, Marcotte wrote that the town will, quote, investigate each situation to determine a suitable outcome, unquote. In comparison, the previous trash collection system, under which residents were allowed to put unlimited amounts of trash out on the pavement each week to be picked up, Marcotte wrote, the new automated system is both more efficient and more cost-effective. Marcotte said his recycling coordinator, Mary Beth Kalman, can help educate residents who are feeling challenged or having a difficult time adjusting to the new collection system. She can be reached at 617-993-2680. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Deadline to buy a brick for Belmont Memorial Veterans Veterans Memorial is on October the 21st. Construction is underway for the Belmont Veterans Memorial at Clay Pit Pond. The memorial will commemorate all Belmont veterans from all the wars since the Civil War, including the Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Persian Gulf War, the Iraq War, and the Afghanistan War. It is expected to be completed in the spring of 2019 and is being constructed in conjunction with the Clay Pit Pond Walking Path renovation project funded with Community Preservation Act funds and donations contributed to the Belmont Veterans Memorial Committee. The original Veterans Memorial at Clay Pit Pond was a small plaque mounted on a stone dedicated on May the 10th, 1940, with a flagpole located near the corner of Concord Avenue and Underwood Street. Working with the same designer as the Conservation Committee for the Clay Pit Pond Walking Path, the Veterans Memorial Committee developed plans to repair the rock walls surrounding the flag and stone, improve the paths leading to and around the site, and add additional granite stones, noting each, uh, noting each of the nine walls around the site with memorial benches and inscribed brick pavers with messages honoring veterans who served <coughs> in the country's wars and conflicts. The project is estimated to cost $250,000, according to committee member Angelo Ferenzi, former, a former selectman. Belmont residents can honor a veteran of their choice with an engraved paver around the flagpole or help the Belmont Veterans Memorial Committee create memorial pavers for more than 100 Belmont servicemen who died during wartime since 1859. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Belmont firefighters asked motorists to fill the boot to support the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Belmont firefighters were out on the streets of Belmont Friday, October 12th, asking motorists to help fill the boot to help support the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Every dollar that passing motorists pitched into the firefighters' boots assisted Local 1637 in raising funds to support local children and adults with neuromuscular diseases through medical treatments and support services. The International Association of Firefighters has been a national MDA partner for more than 50 years and remains committed to the fight to end neuromuscular diseases. The Fill the Boat Boot funds 
also are used to support some of the 300 worldwide research projects seeking to better treatments and working towards a cure for the more than 40 neuromuscular diseases covered by MDA, including Duchenne muscular dystrophy, spinal muscular dystrophy, atrophy, and ALS. IAFF became the first national sponsor for MDA in 1954, and over the years, firefighters have raised millions of dollars to help improve and enhance the lives of those living with neuromuscular disease. Firefighters have raised money for MDA through their participation in the annual Fill the Boot campaign, as well as by sponsoring golf and softball tournaments. Many also contribute some of their vacation time each year to volunteer at MDA summer camps across the country. Now, here's Max. Thanks, Claire. Low vision reader at Belmont Public Library. Do you or someone you know have trouble reading normal-sized text or seeing all the details of images because of reduced vision? The Belmont Public Library is pleased to announce that we have once again set up our low vision reader. The device is capable of magnifying text and images from almost any document onto its large HD CCTV screen and has a text-to-speech function capable of reading simple documents aloud. Please call the reference desk at 617-993-2870 if you have any questions. Back to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues, Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont.